Welcome back to the South Baltimore Now podcast, where we typically on this show talk about everything that's great about our neighborhood. Now, this episode, we're going to dive a little deeper into a topic that I know is a bit uncomfortable, and it's something that none of us like and wish we didn't have to talk about, but we need to, and that is crime around our neighborhood. Look, this topic is a necessary topic, and I hope at the end of this, you're going to feel more encouraged by the steps being taken by our local leaders and advocates. And today, we have Brad O'Brien as our guest on the show, who's going to dive in a little bit deeper and talk about some of the efforts that he's making and our community leaders and other business leaders are making in this area. First of all, Brad is a South Baltimore neighbor who, along with his wife and kids, have lived in the neighborhood for 10 years. Since 2019, Brad has served in the role of public safety chair for the Federal Hill Neighborhood Association, and he also serves as the president of the Baltimore Police Department's Community Relations Council for the Southern District. Brad is going to discuss his role and provide some updates on all of these issues that we've been facing here in the neighborhood. I'm going to turn it over to Kevin Lynch now, but thank you all for tuning in. And Brad, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me and thank you for what you do to create content, to engage our community and for doing things like this. I really appreciate it. Hey Brad, tell us where you're from and how you ended up in Federal Hill. Before we were in Federal Hill, I was in Durham, North Carolina for 10 years and then we moved here in 2013 to start a new church and came with like 25 friends from Raleigh, Durham. And ultimately we ended up merging with one of the community's oldest churches, a historic Baptist church that was founded in 1855. We live in South Baltimore. We have four kids who go to school here in South Baltimore, and we love being in this community. Great to have you here in South Baltimore. And obviously, you're very involved in the community, so we always need people like yourselves and your families. So obviously, you've gotten very involved in all things public safety in South Baltimore. And when it comes to public safety, there's obviously some big changes going on in Baltimore. We have a new state's attorney in Ivan Bates, and we also have a new sheriff in Sam Kogan, who was also the president of the South Baltimore Neighborhood Association for several years. So obviously, a guy with local ties. Tell me about some of the changes you are seeing with these two uh, gentlemen now at the helm. So both of them are South Baltimore residents. So it's encouraging to know that our community is populated with really influential people like those two. So Sheriff Kogan and I were friends, having worked together in public safety things before he was elected as sheriff, but very thankful for his role. I think he is taking a very proactive stance in his role as the Baltimore City Sheriff, trying to get the department up to speed, using technology, being engaged in the community, being proactive with the jurisdiction that they have. You know, one of the things that he did very early on in February, there was a violent incident on the 900 block of Light Street in response to a request that I made through Councilman Costello's office. The sheriff had a deployment of uh, officers or deputies here into the business district, and it was really well received. I mean, they've been at the Locust Point Festival. They've been at the Fells Point Festival. They're out and about, and it's really encouraging to see that type of proactivity. State's attorney, that's a, another great leader to me, or in my opinion. You know, I hosted an event in February for community leaders to get to know State's Attorney Bates, and I was very thankful for his engagement, his participation. He's also been one of our guests at the Community Relations Council meeting in the Southern District. I think he's been very upfront with, you know, asking for everybody to give his office about a year to try to get things ramped up. And, you know, he wants to make sure he gets his office expanded and equipped, all of the ASAs equipped to know how to do what he wants them to do. 
you know, he's been upfront with his citation docket, something that he wanted to roll out. It's not rolled out as smoothly as I think he thought it would, but he communicates that and he works with BPD to try to get them engaged and make sure everybody's on the same page. And the community events he's doing right now, I think they're called Learn. There's abbreviation for that, but I don't know what that is. We can put it in the show notes. They're going to host one for the 46th district on October 30th. And it's just a way for community members to engage with them. So I think both of those individuals, not just being South Baltimore residents, but being in those positions of leadership are a great win for the city. Now, uh, whether you're uh, experiencing crime yourself or going on the Facebook pages or watching the news, clearly Baltimore is having an issue with crimes committed by juveniles. This isn't just a Baltimore City issue. It's certainly a pattern you're seeing throughout the state. So I guess speak a little bit about this issue. You can't get away from that reality that there are young people committing violent crimes you know, regularly. Just yesterday, there was some video footage of three individuals armed running down Light Street and attempting to rob a delivery truck. A while back with some patterns that BPD was seeing, there were eyewitness testimonies that were basically saying there was an individual involved that was believed to be as young as 10 years old. And that blows my mind. I have a eight-year-old and an 11-year-old. And to envision a kiddo that age or in that age range out running on the streets, you know, armed with a firearm or some type of, you know, toy gun or whatever the case is, it, it just really blows my mind to think about what has happened in that child's life or that young person's life to get them to the point where they are. Now, my wife and I, we fostered six kids since we've been here in the city. And one of the parts of that experience was being trained in trauma-informed care and just realizing how trauma affects young people. It re- reconfigures their brains. And so it is, it's just something that we have to realize that there is a holistic situation that has to be addressed and recognized in all of this. Yeah. You know, there are patterns of juveniles committing crimes, not just here, but all over. And uh, just earlier this week, I, I heard about something that the mayor's office of neighborhood safety and engagement is going to be rolling out at Digital Harbor. Digital Harbor is the city's third largest high school. And so they're going to be rolling out a school-based intervention program, which tries to engage the students and tries to keep them away from those types of decisions, tries to keep them or steer them into other directions. And so I think in that situation, when we have Digital Harbor students, you know, committing crimes with their school logo on or something like that, we really want to be a good neighbor to that school. And I think the principal that we have there right now, Principal Jackson, is a great community partner. She wants the community to be involved. She wants to be involved in the community. And so I'm really excited about what Monsi is doing, and I hope our community will support that because addressing juvenile crimes, just not after a criminal event has happened. There are things that we can be proactive in and try to get ahead of the curve there into addressing young people and giving them options and opportunities in the community to do good, maybe to get a job in some of our businesses, get some skills, you know, job experience, things like that. You know, it's, it, it is really heartbreaking. But one of the things in this that is really encouraging is that Principal Jackson is a great community partner. And we as a community have to always remind ourselves that being such a large school, the overwhelming percentage of students at Digital Harbor come to school in each and every day and they do all the right things. And when there are incidents of digital students doing the wrong things, it is a small number of those students. It is such a small number. The overwhelming majority of them are doing the right thing each and every day. And that's encouraging. But on the legislative side, I think another thing that I am really appreciative of S.A. Bates 
is how he's willing to go and say, well, what the legislature did when they passed the Juvenile Justice Reform Act is they really kind of took his office's legs out from under him. And so we actually had the the juvenile division director, another South Baltimore resident. Uh, She was our guest at the CRC a few weeks ago speaking about the process. And it really is something where that office wants to be a part of the conversation from the very beginning when there is an incident. And so, you know, I think one of the things that neighbors could do if they're frustrated by this is simply become aware of what State's Attorney Bates and his team are asking for in regards to having the Juvenile Justice Reform Act reformed. There are things that that office is putting out. And so, you know, learning about those things and using your voice to advocate for those things with your representatives is really important because we can all work together to make change. And talk about some of the current crime trends we're seeing in South Baltimore. Obviously, the car thefts have been a huge story in Baltimore this year, huge spike in that. And certainly from somebody as myself who does the crime reports, you know, on a weekly basis, I see really as many robberies as we've really seen at any point. So talk about some of the trends we're seeing right now and kind of any thoughts or observations about that. I mean, if you own a Kia or a Hyundai, you have to know that something is going on. Auto thefts or attempted auto thefts. It's just crazy that the data is staggering when you look at that. Obviously, the software situation where individuals can break into those cars and jack them with a USB device is crazy. And even if you have updated your software, you really have to have a steering wheel locked on your car just to make it clear, like you're not going to be able to take my car. So one of the things that any good neighbor could do right now is if you have one of those cars or if you know someone who has one of those cars, either trade it in or go get a steering wheel lock. That's that's just one of those things that we can do. But you're right. Robberies are up. You know, street robberies, armed robberies, things like that. You know, if you go to the Monsi database or dashboard in the mayor's office of neighborhood safety and engagement, the stats for our community are staggering. They're really high right now. And we have a lot of streams where things will just kind of pop off, where there will be three or four incidents within 30 to 45 minutes where they're getting their bike stolen out from under them or they're getting robbed on their stoop while they're bringing their groceries in. And so it it, it is very concerning concerning right now when we look at the reality of the trends and and look at what is currently going on. It's not going in the direction that we want it to go. And there are certainly things I think that we can get to at the end of this talking about what we could do differently, but it is very concerning right now. Just circling back to the car theft issue, it's difficult to sell a stolen car. So, you know, a lot of these cars that are stolen are recovered. Any insight of why there's so much interest in stealing cars and what they do with them once they steal them? Just when was this? This was Wednesday. So just two days ago, there was a situation where an Amazon truck was robbed. And so the delivery driver was out and six individuals just went into the truck and just took packages. I mean, it's package theft at a whole nother level. They were tracked to a car, which was tracked by some neighbors. And ultimately, it was found that car was displaying stolen tags from another car. And so ultimately, it seems like these auto thefts are being done either in the Southern or other districts. And then they're being driven into other districts to kind of use them as the basis to do other crimes. And so it's a way of getting around the city. And oftentimes, at least 
in the past, there were patterns then of those cars being taken to another community and just being dumped there where the suspects might be able to hop on the light rail or somewhere to get where, to where they're going. And yeah, I don't think it's to be you know chopped up or sold or, or things like that. I, I really think it's just young people doing something that they think is fun that they might not be held accountable for. And yeah, it's definitely a concerning pattern. Gotcha. And maybe the amount of gas in the tank might kind of affect what that car is used for. Just to kind of get to one of the things that we're trying to do to address that is multiple neighborhood associations have worked together with the state of Maryland's Department of Housing and Community Development with grant funding. You know, the peninsula is a very specific geographic area. There are only a few ways to get in and to get out. And so one of the things that we've been working on is to install fixed license plate reader cameras at key intersections. And the reason why is because it's known that those stolen vehicles come into the community. And when they come into the community, that's when those strings of incidents really pop off. And so you might see people posting, hey, look out for this red Kia or look out for this silver Honda or, you know, those types of things. What we realize is that if we have a way of alerting the law enforcement officers here that there's a stolen vehicle coming into the community, then that really helps us to be proactive to try to prevent that string of five or six events, which is five or six neighbors being traumatized. There's a way for us to try to be proactive in preventing that. And so there are multiple neighborhood associations who are working together with BPD leadership to do stuff like that. And so rather than just sitting here and kind of sitting on our hands and feeling like there's nothing that we can do, there are things that we can do and there are solutions that we can present or pursue there. And so that's just one of those things of trying to be more proactive than rather simply reactive. What are some other concerning trends you are seeing when it involves public safety in South Baltimore? That whole afternoon after school time where young people are out of school and if they don't have opportunities to do something, they can easily get into trouble. That That's one of them. But the other one that's really concerning is the reality of the late night life entertainment in the business district footprint. And so depending on how closely you live to the federal business district, you'll have varying levels of understanding of what type of unlawfulness and chaos is really going on there. But that is one where obviously just a few weeks ago, Deputy Demby lost his life in, in an altercation there. And that's not just you know, a standalone violent incident. There are numerous violent incidences that have happened in that footprint, really, that revolve around, you know, the density of the amount of businesses that are open late at night, liquor licensed businesses that are open to last call, the number of patrons that are coming in, all of these things create this environment where if there's an absence of properly deployed law enforcement officers, it, it just turns into being a dangerous environment. And really, that's where we are right now. I mean, you know, the team of volunteers that I work with really tries to rely on the data to help us understand some of these things. And so rather than just saying, hey, we, we feel like things are out of control, we, we want to go to the numbers and look at those. And so this team of, of some great individuals, highly skilled individuals, they have found we can narrow down the days that have the most 911 calls for service. That's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Then we can map those calls for service to blocks. And it really illuminates the business district footprint to say this is a unique situation. Then we can track crime by blocks. And we can show you that when we look at crime by blocks over the last couple of years, if you put that into a heat map, it really illuminates that business district. And so what we're trying to do is allow the numbers to guide us to say, okay, there's a real concerning issue here. 
It's concerning to business owners. It's concerning to industry employees. Those are the bartenders or the servers who are there at last call. It's concerning to the retail owners, to the professional services businesses in the district, and to each neighborhood association that touches the business district. So that would be Federal Hill Neighborhood Association, Federal Hill South Neighborhood Association, South Baltimore Neighborhood Association, Federal Hill Main Street, and even those neighborhood associations that are kind of that next circle out. When we look at this, it's one of those things that a law enforcement experts I talk to say that it's formulaic. You know, we are getting basically what we are expecting to get. And and we think about that. When BPD redistricted, we are now in sector three of the Southern District. And our post is post 934. The estimated population that post is 4,000 residents. And then when you think about a business district as unique and popular as ours, there could be an additional two to 3,000 patrons coming in to enjoy the nightlife in our business district. So we could be at times looking at four to 7,000 people in this footprint. Now, if you remember back when the Orioles were really struggling, like in 2021, you know, there were games where they only had like six or 7,000 people in their paid attendance. And you you think about going to one of those games and, and only having one law enforcement officer there, like to say, hey, everything's going to be okay. It just doesn't work. And so what we have here really is a need for a proper deployment of law enforcement officers, but it's really not just limited to that. That would be a substantial way to make a difference. It's something that's worked in places like New Orleans, the French Quarter, and, and, and other cities that have unique business districts. But I think following Deputy Demby's death, I guess it was Churchill that said, you know, don't waste a crisis. It was a crisis that kind of brought some neighborhood association leaders together in a new way and in a unique way. And there were a lot of people in the community that took action to say, hey, we want to get our elected leaders, our elected representatives to be aware of this and to know how important this is. And so I'm really grateful that led to a meeting where our elected representatives were present, where they listened, where they engaged with us. Because ultimately, we can't get through this to the other side of what could really be a hopeful situation without them, without community leaders of our associations, without business owners. Like It's really going to take a partnership that we haven't seen in the 10 years I've been here, at least, or in the four years that I've been in the position I've been in. And so I'm hopeful that at least the most recent incident has created a momentum that just won't be dying off in the near future. Yeah, unfortunately, there's been a couple of those tragic incidents over the years that, that get people more involved and more excited about change. And you know, as you said, hopefully this is one that can really see some sustaining change. And obviously, I know that you've spent a lot of time talking to a lot of people, whether they're business owners, whether they're politicians, whether they're neighbors, about how we can kind of address this issue in ways that'll have sustainable change. So what are some solutions that you see that that are out there? There's no question that this is the number one issue on people's hearts and minds. Okay. So you're going back to the last election cycle as people were out knocking on doors. It was very clear public safety. You know, just recently there was a poll put in from Goucher College that said public safety. Uh, the Federal Hill Neighborhood Association did a survey over the summer that got about 475 responses and the number one issue public safety. Do you feel like you're going to stay in this community? And if you're not, why? Public safety is the number one issue causing people to leave. 
And so I think if we just stand on the sidelines and complain on social media, the horizon looks pretty bleak and hopeless. But I think if people can look at some of the options or, or solutions that are in front of us, I think there are some things that we can do. And so really, I, I think part of the solution is getting neighborhood association leadership to work together. People may not realize this, but our peninsula is broken into a lot of different just neighborhood groups and neighborhood associations. That's really good when you need to get something done at a pretty micro street level. It's really bad when we need to get something done that's really big just right now. For instance, South Baltimore Neighborhood Association is, is projected or proposed to be split in half in the city council redistricting map. And so they're asking people to join in and support them to say, no, this is not what we want. We don't want to be split apart. There are ways that we can respond together to have more voices to, to support things. And so what we have right now is a great group from South Baltimore Neighborhood Association, from Federal Hill South, from Federal Hill, and from Federal Hill Main Street. And so that's part of that solution there. Now, another thing that we really have to see here is an engagement with our business owners. And there are many businesses here in the district. There are many liquor licensed businesses here in the district. And we really have to see a thoughtful and good neighborly engagement between those organizations and those businesses. Ultimately, our goal should be that our residents feel safe going into our business district and enjoying it, and that patrons and visitors coming from all over the city and all over the state, and for various reasons, all over the world, who come into our city, into this district for, for various things, stadium events, concerts at CFG, whatever it may be. And so we really have to see kind of a commitment and engagement between those organizations and those businesses. And so when we think about it, there are a lot of different things that can help be a part of the solution. We think about Monty's work at Digital Harbor. That's a an upstream kind of way to address things. You know, maybe there are ways for businesses to go to Digital Harbor and do job interviews and hire students for after school work. Maybe there are ways for people that have skills in our community, like technology, to go in and do things with students after school, like extracurricular things. You know, I had a guy who was a part of my church a few years ago. He's now a professor at Tufts. And he would go in and do like hacking for good with the students. There are opportunities like that. There's also opportunities that don't involve law enforcement officers. I realize that there are some people who just don't want to see that solution for whatever reason. They have very strong reasons, uh, very valid reasons. You know, doing some parking enforcement would be a very small way to make an impact. What we see in the business district is really just kind of, you know, illegal parking, people impeding traffic. And oftentimes those little things turn into flashpoints where people get aggravated and frustrated with others, you know, have video evidence of two cars that, you know, were illegally parked on the 900 block of Light Street, got into it somehow, and then they got into a shootout at Light and Warren. You know, parking enforcement could be one of those things as well. But ultimately, if we want to move the needle with public safety in our business district, it's going to come down to a proper deployment of law enforcement officers. Everybody realizes that BPD is understaffed. And that's not shocking or new breaking news for anyone. But there are seven agencies that have jurisdiction in the city. And so when we think about this, there are a lot of different populations of law enforcement officers to pull from. So Putting a proper deployment of officers out, the sheriff's department has done, I think, for four weekends this year. It's really a great way to help bring back a sense of 
safety to the community so that residents and guests are all feeling safe to do that. I've talked to Sheriff Kogan. I just met with Police Commissioner Worley this week. Former Commissioner Harrison, Major Ben of the Southern District, they'll all say that this is a viable option, but we have to get the funding to do a pilot to show that it would work. And then we also have to get the officers to walk the beat and be a part of that. But I think I think there are a lot of different options that I'm hopeful about. And a huge, a huge thank you has to go out to our elected representatives. They came to the table and they listened. It's not like they're unaware of the need. They're very aware. And we have some really powerful representatives when we look at our area. Councilman Costello oversees the budget process for the city. Senate President Ferguson is a substantial leader. Delegate Klippinger, South Baltimore resident over the Judiciary Committee. And so we have some great representatives with great positions, great power and great leadership who are responsive. They all have different abilities and different windows of authority that they can work within legislature. And I have been really thankful for their engagement with us, listening to us, you know, connecting us to resources and relationships that I don't know about. But yeah, that's part of the solution, too. So we as voting residents just have to continually advocate for what's important to us in a representative government like this. Addressing a couple of things you said, for starters, the thought of kind of breaking up part of the South Baltimore Peninsula into a different council district in the city. That's certainly so interesting to hear because anybody who lives in any part of the South Baltimore Peninsula knows really when it comes down to it, it's one community. There's probably a lot of people that have only lived here a few years that aren't even sure which of the divided up communities of South Baltimore they live in. And you think about, you know, I have young kids and they're at one of the schools. If I were to switch them to a different school in the peninsula, they would still know just about every kid at that school because it's one community down here, but he plays sports together and different activities and sees each other's at the playgrounds and the parks. And if you're older, you see each other at kickball and, and the bar. So yeah, I, I certainly hope if people have a strong opinion on that, they make their voice heard. And then just thought of might as well as we kind of live in this new reality of the virtual workforce and all these things where a lot of people can live wherever they want to live. And obviously getting crime under better control is super important for the people that we have living here now, but I think it's also important to make this a good option for the people who have maybe been priced out of Washington or New York or Philadelphia or wherever and are looking for that city option. If we can not only be a city that's affordable, but a thought that it's a safe city as well, or at least a safer city, because I I read some statistics now that that D.C. has surpassed us in crime, which would have been unthinkable five years ago. So we're not the only city facing this. But if we can be kind of seen as a city that's taking it on and making improvements, that could really bring us a lot of new residents in this new workforce that in many industries can work wherever they want. Yeah. I mean, when we think about it, we really could become a very attractive location for people. You know, the proximity to 95, the proximity to BWI, like I mean, there are a lot of wonderful things that keep a lot of families and a lot of individuals here. If we could thoughtfully and holistically get this situation addressed, it would be a great win. And we think about it's been going on for a while and it's going to take some time. But whenever you're building a house, you have to take time to lay the foundation. And if you rush that process, you're going to regret it in the future. And so I do think that the season we're in right now with our elected leaders, with community 
presidents and public safety people with BPD, with our command officers in the Southern, with PC Worley, with Sheriff Kogan, with S.A. Bates. I think we have a collection of people at the table that if we take the right slow and steady approach, then I, I think we can get there. And I know that there are going to be people who are just hot over the idea of it being slow and steady. And to be honest with you, I'm one of them. But I don't necessarily know how politics works. And I don't, you know, it's just one of those things that civic engagement is really important. And sometimes it goes a little bit more slowly than some of us want. And I think we have to say that's okay. As long as we're moving forward, as long as we're taking steps, as long as we're not letting the you know, momentum from a crisis die off, as long as we're doing those things, which, which I feel like we are right now, then there's reasons to be helpful. And obviously, based on your life path and your profession, I'm sure you're an optimist and I'm sure you're a glass half full guy. Give us a few reasons why you see a bright future. And uh, I guess talk about a few ways that residents of our community can join the, the greater collective here to, to make things better around here. For me, it boils down to a few things. In 2019, there's a woman who was carrying her five-week-old baby on her person, on her body, and she's pistol whipped for her phone. And I could envision my wife and my children in that situation. And that's the catalyst that got me off the sideline from just complaining to actually working to find solutions. You know, for me, it's kind of a commitment to try to love my neighbors, all of my neighbors as myself. And so this isn't just about this place being safe for my family. It's about this place being safe for anyone who wants to be here. So I'm hopeful that the elected representatives that we have in place right now are listening they're engaging, they're thoughtful, they're responsive. And that means a lot. That means a lot. Not all of the citizens of our city could can say that about their reps. And we can. So I'm very thankful for that. Very thankful for community leaders from other community associations that are either engaged right now at kind of the center of this or on the next level of other associations looking and saying, hey, we're ready to stand with you when you get everything set in place when you're ready. The business owners I've already heard from, we, we've got business owners who aren't just angry about the situation. They're not just furious and, and hot-headed all the time. They're actually ready to work together to find solutions. That's really encouraging. And when we think about it at the very base level, it, it really comes down to the voting residents of our community what they can do. They can look beyond themselves, you know, get to know your neighbors, get to know the people on your block, look out for your neighbors on your block. You see a package on their stoop and they're not home, grab it for them and send them a text. Let them know, hey, I saw this. I picked it up for you. Let me know when you're available. Create a way of communicating with them. Maybe it's a text thread. Maybe it's a private group in social media. We have an email distribution list that we could just write to all of our neighbors on our block to communicate things. We have to be able to look at their possessions, their property, and really see that we have a responsibility for each other. We're going to build a fabric or a network of a village or a community. It really takes all of us doing that at the base level of our blocks. And so that's one of the things, if we see something suspicious happening to our neighbor's property, that should be a reason for us to call. That should be a reason for us to, to let BPD know that something's going on that's concerning. So we see something, we say something. Being engaged, putting up cafe lights on your block. You know, see if your neighbors are willing to do that. There are a couple of contractors that do that. It's really good. We did that on our block and it really changed that feeling of safety at nighttime when you have both sides of your block lit up like that. Buy a camera, use a camera. I, I met with PC Worley yesterday and the importance of cameras is critical right now. Cameras have been the key tool in solving several crimes on the peninsula. 
in particular, Deputy Demby's killing. And that was something where the businesses around that block who had cameras were cooperative. Witnesses were cooperative. There are little things like that. We have a neighborhood network of cameras, which really is something that the Southeast District did. Uh, A neighbor over there put it together. So BPD is understaffed. One of the things that we can do to find a solution is just help communicate with each other when something happens. When somebody is a victim of a crime, it's re-traumatizing for them to have to go to social media and say, hey, does anybody have camera footage at this intersection because I was carjacked or I was held out or whatever? And so when we recognize locations like that, this network that we have, we're able to communicate with each other privately and just say, hey, does anybody have footage of this? If so, submit it to BPD. Nobody gets access to your camera system. Nobody knows your passwords, nothing like that. Just a way of communicating effectively and efficiently. So getting a camera that works and joining something like that, the City Watch that alerts BPD to know where cameras exist. Things like that are really small things, but they make a difference. And so I think a lot of people feel like they don't know what to do or they don't feel like they can do enough to change or make a difference. Really building relationships on your block, putting up some lights, getting cameras and being actively involved in your neighborhood association, knowing which neighborhood association you're a part of, like being actively involved. All of those things matter and all of those things can make a difference. That's so much good information we've received today. And myself, naturally being an an optimist as well, I can tell you on the development front, I'm I'm certainly optimistic. The Inner Harbor, seeing two major projects with the renovation of Rash Field should be completed in the next few years. You have a a reboot of Harbor Place, likely upcoming. Those should really breathe some new light into the Inner Harbor when you breathe new life into things. It's extra witnesses around, extra security. You got the Orioles are winning again. Now they're looking at a a redevelopment of the area around Camden Yards. That should be very exciting. Obviously, you have the new arena downtowns bringing a lot of big new events into the city. And then obviously with Port Covington slash Baltimore Peninsula, that's a whole new neighborhood coming to the area. There's going to be a lot of businesses, a lot of events, a lot of people coming into the area, hopefully people that are engaged. So obviously times can be trying. The entrepreneurial and creative spirit of this city seems to never wane. And uh, it's great that we have people like Brad and his committee. They're not just complaining. They're really putting hours and hours into meetings and breaking things down in documents on how to solve these issues. Thanks for your time today, Brad. There's a lot going on behind the scenes, and we know there's probably a lot you can't even talk about yet because it's too preliminary. We really appreciate all that. And let me throw another one in there on development. Something that I'm really passionate about, something I think shows a holistic approach to public safety, is the future redevelopment of Solo Gibbs Park. Solo Gibbs Park sits at the heart of Sharp Leadenhall community. It's the park that's closest to MT Stadium in Camden Yards. And they have a vision and they're working on funding. And that's something that people can be advocating for. That's the only park on the peninsula not to be renovated in like the last two decades, I think. When that vision is completed, when they have the funding on hand to get that done, our community, South Baltimore, is going to have one of the cities most cutting edge recreation centers, which is going to afford a lot of young people a great place to be engaged after school. And that is another way to look at this holistically. And so, yeah, there is a lot of great things going on and a lot of great development happening. That's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Brad, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. What an important message to share with all of our friends and neighbors and fellow residents here of South Baltimore. If you like this podcast, I hope you'll share it with your friends and neighbors. And please stay safe out there. Talk to you soon. Oh, 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 o